Part 1, Chapter 9 of 800 Leagues on the Amazon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Fred Ebert. 800 Leagues on the Amazon by Jules Verne. Part 1. The Giant Raft. Chapter 9. The Evening of the 5th of June. While the master's house was being constructed, Yom Garal was also busied in the arrangement of the outbuildings, comprising the kitchen and the offices in which provisions of all kinds were intended to be stored. In the first place, there was an important stock of the roots of that little tree, some six or ten feet in height, which yields the manioc, and which form the principal food of the inhabitants of these intertropical countries. The root, very much like a long black radish, grows in clumps like potatoes. If it is not poisonous in Africa, it is certain that in South America it contains a more noxious juice, which it is necessary to previously get rid of by pressure. When this result is obtained, the root is reduced to flour, and it is then used in many ways, even in the form of tapioca, according to the fancy of the natives. On board the Jankata there was a huge pile of this useful product destined for general consumption. As for preserved meats, not forgetting a whole flock of sheep, kept in a special stable built in the front, they consisted principally of a quantity of the presunto hams of the district, which are of first-class quality, but the guns of the young fellows and of some of the Indians were reckoned on for additional supplies, excellent hunters as they were, to whom there was likely to be no lack of game on the islands and in the forest bordering on the stream. The river was expected to furnish its daily quota, prawns, which ought rather to be called crawfish, tambagas, the finest fish in the district of a flavor superior to that of salmon, to which it is often compared, Pirarucas with red scales as large as sturgeons, which when salted are used in great quantities throughout Brazil. Candiras, awkward to capture but good to eat. Paranas, or devilfish, striped with red bands and thirty inches long. Turtles large and small, which are counted by millions, and form so large a part of the food of the natives. Some of every one of these things it was hoped would figure in turn on the tables of the master and his men and so each day shooting and fishing were to be regularly indulged in. For beverages they had a good store of the best that the country produced, Kaisuma, Machachera, from the upper and lower Amazon, an agreeable liqueur of slightly acidulated taste, which is distilled from the boiled root of the sweet manioc, Baiju, from Brazil, a sort of national brandy, the chica of Peru, the masado of the Yucayali, extracted from the boiled fruits of the banana tree, pressed and fermented, verana, a kind of paste made from the double almond of the paulineal sorbolus, a genuine tablet of chocolate, so far as its color goes, which is reduced to a fine powder, and with the addition of water, yields an excellent drink. And this was not all. There is in these countries a species of dark violet wine, which is got from the juice of the palm, and the aromatic flavor of this acai is greatly appreciated by the Brazilians, and of it there were on board a respectable number of frasques, each holding a little more than half a gallon. 
which would probably be emptied before they arrived at Para. The special seller of the Giancata did honor to Benito, who had been appointed its commander-in-chief. Several hundred bottles of sherry, port, ladebal, were called names dear to the earlier conquerors of South America. In addition, the young butler had stored away certain demijohns, holding half a dozen gallons each, of excellent tafia, a sugared brandy a trifle more pronounced in taste than the national bijou. As far as tobacco was concerned, there was none of that coarse kind which usually contents the natives of the Amazonian basin. It all came directly from Via Bella da Imperatriz, or, in other words, from the district in which is grown the best tobacco in Central America. The principal habitation, with its annexes, kitchen, offices, and cellars, was placed in the rear, or, let us say, stern of the craft, and formed a part reserved for the Garal family and their personal servants. In the center, the huts for the Indians and the blacks had been erected. The staff were thus placed under the same conditions at the fazenda of Iquitos, and would always be able to work under the direction of the pilot. To house the crew, a good many huts were required, and these gave to the Jancata the appearance of a small village got adrift, and to tell the truth, it was better built and better peopled village than many of those on the upper Amazon. For the Indians, Joam Corral had designed regular cabins, huts without walls, with only light poles supporting the roof of foliage, the air circulated freely throughout these open constructions and swung the hammock suspended in the interior, and the natives, among whom were three or four complete families, with women and children, were lodged as if they were on shore. The blacks here found their customary sheds. They differed from the cabins by being closed in on their four faces, of which only one gave access to the interior. The Indians, accustomed to live in the open air, free and untrammeled, were not able to accustom themselves to the imprisonment of the ajupas, which agreed better with the life of the blacks. In the bow, regular warehouses had arisen, containing the goods which Joam Garral was carrying to Belém at the same time as the products of his forest. There, in vast storerooms under the direction of Benito, the rich cargo had been placed with as much order as if it had been carefully stowed away in a ship's hold. In the first place, 7,000 arrobas of caoutchouc, each of about 30 pounds, composed the most precious part of the cargo, for every pound of it was worth from 3 to 4 francs. The Jankata also took 50 hundredweight of sarsaparilla, a smilax which forms an important branch of foreign trade throughout the Amazon districts, and is getting rarer and rarer along the banks of the river so that the natives are very careful to spare the stems when they gather them. Tonkin bands, known in Brazil under the name of Kumaris, and used in the manufacture of certain essential oils, sassafras, from which is extracted a precious balsam for wounds, bales of dying plants, cases of several gums, and a quantity of the precious woods, completed a well-adapted cargo for lucrative and easy sale in the provinces of Para. Some may feel astonished that the number of Indians and Negroes embarked were only sufficient to work the raft, and that a larger number were not taken in case of an attack by the riverside Indians. Such would have been useless. The natives of Central America are not to be feared in the least, and the times are quite changed since it was necessary to provide against their aggressions. The Indians along the river belong to peaceable tribes, and the fiercest of them have retired before the advancing civilization, 
and drawn further and further away from the river and its tributaries. Negro deserters, escaped from the penal colonies of Brazil, England, Holland, or France, are alone to be feared. But there are only a small number of these fugitives. They only move in isolated groups across the savannas or the woods, and the Jankata was, in a measure, secured from any attack on the parts of the backwoodsmen. On the other hand, there were a number of settlements on the river, towns, villages, and missions. The immense stream no longer traverses a desert, but a basin which is being colonized day by day. Danger was not taken into consideration. There were no precautions against attacks. To conclude our description of the Jankata, we have only to speak of one or two erections of different kinds which gave it a very picturesque aspect. In the bow was the cabin of the pilot. We say in the bow and not at the stern where the helmsman is generally found. In navigating under such circumstances a rudder is of no use. Long oars have no effect on a raft of such dimensions, even when worked with a hundred sturdy arms. It was from the sides by means of long boat hooks or props thrust against the bed of the stream that the jancata was kept in the current and had its direction altered when going astray. By this means they could range alongside either bank if they wished for any reason to come to a halt. Three or four yubas and two pirogues, which were the necessary riggings, were carried on board and afforded easy communications with the banks. The pilot had to look after the channels of the river, the deviations of the current, the eddies which it was necessary to avoid, the creeks or bays which afforded favorable anchorage, and to do this he had to be in the bow. If the pilot was the material director of this immense machine, for can we not justly call it so? Another personage was its spiritual director. This was Padre Passana, who had charge of the mission at Iquitos. A religious family like that of Joam Garals had availed themselves enthusiastically of this occasion of taking him with them. Padre Passana, then aged seventy, was a man of great worth, full of evangelical fervor, charitable and good, and in countries where the representatives of religion are not always examples of the virtues, he stood out as the accomplished type of those great missionaries who have done so much for civilization in the interior of the most savage regions of the world. For fifty years, Padre Pasana had lived at Iquitos, in the mission of which he was the chief. He was loved by all, and worthily so. The Garal family held him in great esteem. It was he who had married the daughter of Farma Magaeus to the clerk who had been received at the fazenda. He had known the children from birth, he had baptized them, educated them, and hoped to give each of them the nuptial blessing. The age of the Padre did not allow of his exercising his important ministry any longer. The horn of retreat for him had sounded. He was about to be replaced at Iquitos by a younger missionary, and he was preparing to return to Para, to end his days in one of those convents which are reserved for the old servants of God. What better occasion could offer than that of descending the river with the family which was as his own? They had proposed it to him, and he had accepted, and when arrived at Belem, he was to marry the young couple, Mina and Manuel. But if Padre Pasana, during the course of the voyage, was to take his meals with the family, Jean Garral desired to build for him a dwelling apart, and heaven knows what care Yaquita and her daughter took to make him comfortable. Assuredly, the good old priest had never been so lodged in his modest parsonage. The parsonage was not enough for Padre Pasana. He ought to have a chapel. The chapel then was built in the center of the jancata, and a little bell surmounted it. 
It was small enough, undoubtedly, and it could not hold the whole of the crew, but it was richly decorated, and if Jom Corral found his own house on the raft, Padre Pisana had no cause to regret the poverty-stricken churches of Iquitos. Such was the wonderful structure which was going down the Amazon. It was then on the bank waiting till the flood came to carry it away. From the observation and calculation of the rising, it would seem as though there was not much longer to wait. All was ready to date, the 5th of June. The pilot arrived the evening before. He was a man about fifty, well up in his profession, but rather fond of drink. Such as he was, Jean Garral, in large matters at different times, had employed him to take his rafts to Bellum, and he had never had cause to repent it. It is well to add that Araujo, that was his name, never saw better than when he had imbibed a few glasses of tafia, and he never did any work at all without a certain demijohn of that liquor to which he paid frequent court. The rise of the flood had clearly manifested itself for several days. From minute to minute the level of the river rose, and during the twenty-four hours which preceded the maximum, the waters covered the bank on which the raft rested, but did not lift the raft. As soon as the movement was assured, and there could be no error as to the height to which the flood would rise, all those interested in the undertaking were seized with no little excitement. For if through some inexplicable cause the waters of the Amazon did not rise sufficiently to flood the Jakarta, it would all have to be built over again. But as the fall of the river would be very rapid, it would take long months before similar conditions recurred. On the 5th of June, toward the evening, the future passengers of the Jankata were collected on a plateau which was about a hundred feet above the bank, and waited for the hour with an anxiety quite intelligible. There were Yaquita, her daughter, Manuel Valdez, Padre Pasana, Benito, Lina, Fragosa, Sibella, and some of the servants, Indian or Negro, of the fazenda. Fragoso could not keep himself still. He went and he came. He ran down the bank and ran up the plateau. He noted the points of the river gauge and shouted hurrah as the water crept up. It will swim! It will swim! he shouted. The raft which is to take us to Belem, it will float if all the cataracts of the sky have to open to flood the Amazon. Jean Garat was on the raft with the pilot and some of the crew. It was for him to take all necessary measures at the critical moment. The Jankata was moored to the bank with solid cables, so that it could not be carried away by the current when it floated off. Quite a tribe, from one hundred and fifty to two hundred Indians, without counting the population of the village, had come to assist at the interesting spectacle. They were all keenly on the watch, and silence reigned over the impressionable crowd. Toward five o'clock in the evening, the water had reached a level higher than that of the night before, by more than a foot, and the bank had already entirely disappeared beneath the liquid covering. A certain groaning arose among the planks of the enormous structure, but there was still wanting a few inches before it was quite lifted and detached from the ground. For an hour the groanings increased. The joist grated on all sides. A struggle was going on in which little by little the trunks were being dragged from their sandy bed. Toward half-past six cries of joy arose. The jankata floated at last, and the current took it towards the middle of the river, but in obedience to the cables, it quietly took up its position near the bank at the moment that Padre Pasana gave it his blessing, as if it were a vessel launched into the sea whose destinies are in the hands of the Most High. End of chapter 9 The evening of the 5th of June